As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We continue our assessment of rookie pitchers and embark on an overview of potential buy-low candidates. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had uh, three co-brews uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15. On The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, October 14th. I'm Al Melker. I am here with Derek Van Riper. And uh, DVR, we've got a little bit of playoff-related news here. Uh, Clayton Kershaw was supposed to start the uh, NLCS Game 2 against the Braves. He was scratched with back spasms. Uh, of course, by the time you're listening to this, you know that Tony Gonsolin was making the start there for the Dodgers. Uh, we'll talk about Gonsolin in a little bit, but let's uh, stop back on Kershaw. Uh, he finished as the number eight starting pitcher on the ESPN Player Raider. You know, I think the the general consensus is that he is had been in the decline stage, but a little bit of a bounce back in 2020. Do we buy that going forward? I think the hardest thing about Clayton Kershaw is figuring out how much you want to trust his health coming out of a shortened season like this because you know his workload compared to the workloads of other top-end starting pitchers is very comparable. I think this injury in the postseason, even if it only is a delay of a day or two before he pitches next for the Dodgers, is a reminder that this back injury is not going to go away completely. So, you know, I agree with you. Like The skills were a little bit better this year. The 28.1% K rate, 3.6% walk rate, those were better marks than we've seen in any of the last three seasons from Kershaw, and that's probably only a good thing. But if you go back to 2017 and 2018 and 2019, you see 160 to about 180 innings every single year. So I think you are still going to have to take him as a guy that, while he might be an ace in terms of skills, he's still not an ace in terms of health. And if he was the eighth pitcher in a shortened season, I'd be more inclined to expect him to be in the 12 to 15 range over a full season if we're lucky enough to get one in 2021. Which you know may be something of a, I guess we could call it a win for Kershaw because again, with that assumption that there's age-related decline there, you know maybe at worst he he holds value 
from where we saw him uh, back last March. So he, at least he did that much in the shortened season. But uh, yeah, I think we all still worry a bit about his health going into 2021. Now as for uh, Gonsolin, he was one of the uh, most effective rookie pitchers in 2020. And we started a, a little bit of analysis DVR on the last episode, uh, looking at some rookie pitchers and what we see for them going forward. So we can... Uh, revisit Gonsolin there. And actually, I'm going to lump him in with um, a couple others, Ian Anderson and Jesus Luzardo. I mean, these are all pitchers that I think we had fairly high expectations for, especially Luzardo for this season. And they all pretty much delivered on those expectations. And maybe in the case of Anderson exceeding those expectations, is there any reason for any sort of uh, doubts or, um, you know, uh, slowing the roll on any of these three starters going into next year. You know, I, I think with Ian Anderson, I think we do have to ask ourselves if he's been tested to the point of the league getting enough looks at him to make those adjustments. The recurring theme with young players, it applies to hitters, it applies to pitchers. I think the walk rate is a little higher than I'd like it to be for a guy who probably won't carry a strikeout rate as good as the one he's shown us thus far. He was right around 30%. In the regular season, he's been closer to 40% in his two postseason starts. Matchups, I think, were a big part of that. Uh, so I do think with Ian Anderson, we have to be a little bit careful with our expectations of where those skills have been in this very limited season. And walks have been a problem for him going back to his time in the minor leagues, too. He's always been a guy that's been around that 10% walk rate. So I think to get by with that, you really have to continue to pile up Ks at a high rate kind of offset the potential damage there. Uh, with you know, Tony Gonsolin, I think the only question really is, is there going to be a spot for him to call his own in that rotation? You know, The depth the Dodgers have continues to be uh, a benefit for them, and, and he's the guy that steps in right now if someone else goes down. But if we think he's going to be a regular part of their plans, if we're not worried about how much you can use him, I don't see any reason why Tony Gonsolin can't be a top 40 starting pitcher based on the skills that he's been showing us over these last two seasons. Yeah, hopefully get some clarity come uh, winter, uh, early spring in terms of uh, Gonsolin's role. But the Dodgers being the Dodgers, uh, you know, we may not even have that by the middle of next season. So uh, that's <laughs> going to be a, a bit of uncertainty that's going to surround Gonsolin uh, going forward. Uh, now, on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of expectations, in terms of strikeout potential, we've got Randy Dobnak. Uh, and, you know, he showed some potential for being one of these, uh, you know, effective contact manager type pitchers. Not a lot of margin for error with that type of pitcher. Um, but you know, you, you did mention with Ian Anderson, you talked about schedule. That's something that I think helped a lot of, uh, pitchers in the AL central this year, but it will help them next year too. So, uh, do you think Dobnak maybe gets a little bit of a boost just because of the schedule that he'll face? Maybe a little bit, but I think the hardest thing to deal with with him is you're still not getting as many strikeouts as you think you should get for the swing strike rates we've seen. He dropped off this year compared to 2019, 9.1% after posting a 12.9% swinging strike rate in his debut a season ago, I think his ability to suppress home runs is real. His ground ball tendencies are skills that he owns, and he does have good control. Those are all good things, but it's really difficult to believe in a pitcher who carried a sub-15% K rate. That is so much contact, even when you don't allow home runs, even when you don't really walk a lot of guys. 
I think you want to stream him and be kind of careful with him, push him for two start weeks in most mixed leagues, in deeper formats, of course, uh, leagues with at least 15 teams, AL-only formats. He's fine as a bottom-of-the-roster sort of guy. Uh, the team context is the key here for Dobnak, but I don't know if there's going to be another level there. If he ends up being a 6 or 6.5 Ks per 9 guy who's you know probably in that 15 to 17% range with the K rate year over year, that really wouldn't surprise me. And those pitchers have pretty limited value, unfortunately, in today's game. Yeah. And the flip side of the Dobnak kind of profile would be the Keegan Aiken kind of profile. Uh, A lot of strikeouts, a lot of swing and miss. When contact was made, it was hard. Uh, More than 95 miles per hour uh, of an average exit velocity on flies and liners. Um and that's could be a very dangerous thing in Baltimore and in the AL East in general. And while he threw four pitches, only two of them, um, the, the fastball and the changeup, really marked out well in, in terms of, you know, swinging strike rate and um, the the batted ball and, and plate discipline profile. Um, so there's there's a lot to worry about there in spite of the, uh, the strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Aiken... Was someone I liked as a streamer down the stretch just because from the left side, especially, and being a guy that teams hadn't really seen before, I just kind of felt like he could scrape it together with that arsenal. I do think being in Baltimore kind of gives him an uphill battle. It's such a hitter-friendly park. I'd like to see him improve those secondaries if I'm going to take a chance on him again in 2021. I would say Aiken, in most circumstances, is more of a wait-and-see sort of guy. I don't think I'll draft him. I'll see what happens in those first few starts. Hopefully, he's on the wire, and he's someone I'll think about picking up you know, in April. But I don't think he's going to be someone I take a late-round flyer on because I'm not sure there's enough ceiling there, You know, especially in early drafts. I want the what-could-go-right sort of players on my bench. And I think with Aiken, I don't see enough that could go right, especially with the ratios to where I want to occupy a roster spot with him. All right, and just two more, um, and in the interest of time, I'm just going to lump them together because I think they both have more upside than Aiken, and you can dispute that if, if you see it differently. But Davey Garcia and JT Brubaker, both pretty good. Um, Garcia, actually, if you uh, look at four out of the six starts, he was better than very good. Um, uh, and Brubaker, I think, exceeding expectations. So where do you see that maybe in, in relation to Aiken? You know, Brubaker, I, I think, compares to Aiken somewhat favorably. Uh, you're talking about two guys on rebuilding teams who have plenty of job security. And with Brubaker, I think he's a little bit better than people realize. And I, I think he's also a little older than people realize. So there might not be a lot more growth there. But we're talking about a guy that's closer to 94 with the fastball, has a slider, has a curveball, throws the occasional changeup. So maybe we have four pitches there, but I think we can confidently say there are at least three that he's willing to throw. Um, I, I think he enters the year in the Pirates rotation, and I think there is just enough ceiling, at least in a 15-team league, where he would probably make the cut as one of my last pitchers I would draft. So I'd put him slightly ahead of someone like Aiken. Garcia is kind of in his own class, though, where that's the profile, that's the set of skills, that's the pedigree that I'm much more likely to target in the late rounds, even with the uncertainty about his role going into 2021. The thing that surprised me the most about the way Aaron Boone managed his pitching staff in the postseason was that he used Garcia as an opener. And I thought at the very least, Garcia could have gone through the lineup one full time. They could have pushed him to go two and change or at least three, if not trying to push him through the lineup twice. I think he's good enough to do that. Uh, And this is an organization that develops pitching really well. So you you start thinking about 
The changes in New York, I think Tanaka and Hap are both free agents. James Paxton's health is always a, a question that we're asking about. I mean, it could be Cole followed by Garcia, Schmidt, Severino, and Jordan Montgomery in some order. That could be the way things have to go in the Bronx. So uh, I'm sort of leaning into that uncertainty right now because I think the payoff for Garcia is absolutely one that could be significant next season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, let's shift gears here, DVR. Um, we talked about a lot of rookie uh, pitchers. Uh, I think we've, we've covered that pretty well. But, um, you know, you and I uh, discussed offline things that we could discuss. And I thought you had a great idea to take an early look here at some potential buy lows. So we'll start with the hitters. Uh, we'll move on to pitchers eventually. But uh, there were 10 that really stood out to me. Um, and I'll just rattle them off and then we can get through as many as we can here. Josh Bell, Jose Altuve, Nolan Arenado, Yohan Moncada, Eduardo Escobar, Marcus Simeon, Javier Baez, J.D. Martinez, Joey Gallo, and Victor Robles. What they all have in common, all in the top 150 in NFBC ADP, most of them you know, much, much earlier even than that. And none had a uh, value on the ESPN player rater higher than two for the season. So even the ones that were drafted a little bit later really underperformed vis a vis um, draft position. So um, I'll leave it to you. Who out of this bunch strikes you as a really good uh, buy low opportunity? It's all relative, but I saw Nolan Arenado go in the third round of the early draft I did with Todd Zola, and that seems like fantastic value. I mean, there are some people who are already thinking about bumping him out of the first round in 2020 because he doesn't steal bases. But he's a metronome sort of player in the most hitter-friendly environment in baseball. We have an explanation for why he just wasn't himself. Had that shoulder injury that he's playing through throughout the season. And I think by most accounts, he's going to be ready to go when spring training begins. So you you look at the underlying skills, he still kept the strikeout rate really low. Uh, The exit velocity dipped by about a mile and a half per hour. That's, again, right in line with expectations for the type of injury he was dealing with. He's still not that old. He'll turn 30 in April. I think you can get first-round value in the third round with Arenado, and people are going to be kicking themselves for letting him fall a couple of rounds as a result of this disappointing 2020. Um, you know, Javi Baez, I think, is also pretty interesting because we talked about how He's made a point to express his frustration with the lack of in-game video and the changes made to what's available. Uh, I wonder if those rules are going to change. There's kind of this loose assumption from a lot of people that they'll at least make some accommodations because Baez wasn't alone in his complaints about that. I think J.D. Martinez was also pretty vocal about not liking the new arrangements. And with Baez, I I think he makes sense as a rebound candidate because 
He still runs a little bit, even if he's not going to be a 20-plus steals guy. If he's going to get you 10 to 12 bags, I think he's much less of a, a batting average liability than people have come to expect. I almost think that's going to lead him to be discounted even more than he should be coming off this disappointing season because when he broke into the league, he had that 169 over 52 games. And even though he's been 273 or better every year since then up until 2020, he's always had that reputation as a batting average liability, but he hits the ball hard and he runs well. He really shouldn't be a batting average liability. Um, so I believe everything kind of comes back. Playing time's not a concern. He's a good shortstop. He's obviously going to be a fixture in that Cubs lineup, barring some kind of unforeseen development like a, a bias trade or something. But if he gets traded, he's going to play every day somewhere else, and maybe it's a more hitter-friendly environment. So uh, I see those two guys as just sort of clear-cut early rounders who are going to fall in terms of their price, but guys who I actually want to have on my teams in 2021. Well, what about uh, on the other side of town, uh, going to the south side, Yon Moncada? I think, you know, when I look at this list, that may be uh, one of the more surprising underperformances of 2020. Uh, what's your, how, what perspective do you have on that? If I remember correctly, Moncada was among the players who dealt with COVID at one point uh, back during the summer. And you kind of wonder, like, everybody's responded differently as far as the players who've had it, Freddie Freeman being the example of a guy that talked about having horrible symptoms where he was worried about becoming healthy again. He came out and put up MVP caliber numbers, right? Scott Kingery talked about not feeling normal for several weeks and he had a miserable season. So I think we've got examples on both sides and, and that could be a satisfactory explanation for what happened. But the most surprising part of Mankata's disappointing 2020 is the major change in his stat cast numbers. Like he was red ink everywhere. Exit velocity, obviously hard hit percentage and barrel rate, uh, sprint speed, all those things were off the charts good in 2019 and, you know, all the batted ball stuff really fell off. He, he didn't just go from red to middle of the road. He went to bottom quarter, bottom third of the league in a lot of those things and that just doesn't make sense in my head. He's just too good of a hitter for that. The next place I look is the plate skills. You know, the K rate's still in line with the norms we've seen from him. He was still drawing walks at a good clip. Uh, I don't think he just forgot how to hit in a year. He's too young to fall off that much that quickly. So I'm looking at Moncada as a pretty clear bounce back candidate as well. I think he goes through the offseason, builds up strength again. And you've got to think about this White Sox offense as one of the, the better better groups in the American League. So I think the team context is really as good as it's ever been since Mankata broke into the league. I think he can take advantage of that. Yeah, so certainly a lot that uh, should work more in his favor for uh, 2021. So we'll revisit some other names on this list and get to the pitchers as well. But for this episode of Fantasy Baseball 15, we are going to put a bow on it. Uh, if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we always do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier. We will be right back here on Thursday. Thursday.